0: Happening now, we'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 254 for March the 30th, 2022. My name is Wes Fryer, coming to you from Oklahoma City, from our home that goes on the market tomorrow, um, because we'll be heading to North Carolina this summer, but still at the Cassidy School for several more months, as we actually, I think, have maybe nine more weeks of school Uh, enjoying these last weeks of the trimester. Um, And I am joined, as always, by Dr. Jason Neifer, but he is coming to us, I think, from an undisclosed location deep in Eastern Europe. Is that correct, Jason? You are going to be reporting from the war zone. (laughs) I
1: I cannot verify my continent, but it is true that I am joining uh, the ethics situation tonight from an undisclosed location. I decided to take a little... Uh, well, I, I spent a lot of time telling uh, my staff that they need to, to use their leave because leave is good because it helps uh, rejuvenate you and make you both uh, more fulfilled as a human being and then ultimately better at your job, and I decided to take my own advice and took a long weekend, so I'm hanging out. Uh, I got a nice Airbnb, and I'm working on projects and reading books and catching up on TV series, and today I went to an arboreum for, for two hours, so I feel like I've... Uh, at least, uh, got off to a good start for my long weekend.
0: That is excellent. And as, uh, frequent viewers of the show, not just listeners know, Jason has a large stack of impressive books that he always has behind him. So perhaps those are getting, going to have a bit of a dent this uh, week. What are we going to do besides ponder the possibilities of where you might be joining from tonight? <laughs>
1: Well, Wes, we've spent the last seven days scouring the Internet looking for information to share with uh, our listeners and viewers. And basically what we do is we take a look at headlines in the techosphere and kind of shoot them through the education prism and provide what we hope is a little bit of insight that maybe help you think about the different uh, 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 items, uh, uh, maybe a little differently than you would otherwise. And this week we, as we usually do, we will start off with some uh, very techie news, Microsoft, Google, Apple news in the works. Uh, we have some various headlines in the last couple weeks regarding Russia and the Ukraine, uh, some information about supply lines, um, and uh some information, especially if you're planning around technology purchases, uh our tech correction topic, which is ever so popular, uh miscellaneous, and then we'll end our topics this week with our geeks of the week at the top of the hour. Uh Wes, if is there a certain place you'd like to start tonight or should we just go to the harder tech news, I guess hard tech news uh, and start there uh, tonight. You know,
0: I think you enjoyed that last last week. If I recall, we didn't even talk about the tech correction or the Ukraine last week. So look at that; it actually happens, folks. So yeah, why? Do, and kudos to you for for doing the yeoman's work of of links. And if people are looking for commas and semicolons, don't be deceived by the fact that it was actually Doctor Knifer who used some commas and not semicolons. Because <laughs> I I am the article slacker. Although I did get the episode and the uh, Substack posted. Just right before the show this week. But anyway, yeah, why don't we start with some hard tech news, hardcore tech news, and why don't you just uh, take us where you think we should start?
1: Okay, well, let's do a couple quick Microsoft articles, and um, uh, uh, we can start from there. Windows Central has an article from March 23rd that talks about Windows 11 verse 22H2, which would be the second half of 2022 version of Windows 11. And this confuses me just a little bit um, for some reasons I'll talk about in a moment. But there is a major update coming to the Windows 11 operating system. Um, its main focus is going to be continued polish, but there are also going to be some operating systems some of the enhancements, including things like app folders and the Start menu, um, which I think will probably be welcome uh, for folks who are trying to navigate the new style Start menu in Windows 11. Um, drag and drop uh, onto the taskbar, so you can take documents and put them on their uh, uh, associated app in the the taskbar. Something that uh, was in Windows 10, and I believe, in Windows 7, that magically disappeared in Windows 11. So new gestures, uh, live caption accessibility features, um, there's new voice access and accessibility features, and a new task manager app. But certainly read the article if you're the type that's looking for these, these, you know, what's coming up in the next operating system. But I guess what I want to talk about for a couple minutes is that, first, um, I... Uh, And utilizing, it's not as a main machine, but a Windows machine at work that is managed by IT at the University of Montana, and uh, we're all shut out of administrative functions for for those machines, and so the updates are maintained uh, centrally, and I just noticed that we have the first half of twenty. 21's uh, version of of Windows. That's the one that's rolled out right now. So that wouldn't even be the most recent one. Um, It was two times ago. And there's a couple questions that come to mind here. The first one is that I thought Windows 11 was supposed to get us out the twice a year update cycle. um, And that's the reason why they wanted to have a Windows 11. And then they would maybe do some updates and then a couple years have Windows 12. So uh, that could be ignorance on my part. Honestly, I don't really understand the Windows strategy here. I do understand that one of the reasons why they wanted to move away from Windows 11, I'm sorry, Windows 10, was that it was uh, uh, serving a lot of very old machines that ran just fine on Windows 10. And um, uh, hardware manufacturers were a little impatient with the upgrade cycles uh, for for machines. Um, But... It's just something to keep in mind, um, I don't know, I, I do know of some individuals um, that have moved to Windows 11, I don't know of any school that has, and in part, I would assume that that has largely to do with the fact that you wouldn't have moved to it mid-year, right? Like that, that's not just something that, that would be typical for an IT director. But any thoughts about Windows 11, Windows 11, Dr. Fryer?
0: Well, I comment on the article itself. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if everyone knows what uh, TLDR stands for as an acronym. It's too long, didn't read. Um, so anyway, it's just interesting on that article, uh, the TLDR version of the 14 different, um, new features is just, you know, right at the top. So you can get those really quick. Um, I'm glad to see them featuring the task, uh, the task manager. Is that like where you can force quit applications? Is that what they're talking about there?
1: Um, I believe so. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things that is not, not known to everybody. It's kind of maybe it's a power user it kind of thing. It's, um you know, it's a common thing to be if you've got any kind of slowness or things hanging up or or whatever. Um Anyway, so glad to see those updates. It is interesting to see, though, how it departments, you know, don't make assumptions. I have worked for. Organizations that have done mid-year updates before and sometimes, you know, that can throw havoc in software that you're using because you have peripherals and robots and things like that that you plug in. So definitely is a good idea to generally not do that mid-year. Um, but of course, from the IT standpoint, it's really important to, um, you know, keep things updated from a security standpoint. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a little more distance from the Windows 11 world and fairly happy uh, doing that, but are you at all is there anything you're seeing using your, the version of Windows 11, which you said is a couple versions old? Well, no, did actually, it's Windows, 10, it's Windows 10 at work. Oh, it is so not. Now, a, I, don't, I don't know anyone. It's two that's,
1: versions old. Yeah. yeah. I don't know anyone that, that has a wider rollout at any school. Um, and I know there's been some experimental laptops. And then I did experiment with Windows 11 on my Surface Book um which wasn't technically supported but had a fast i7 chip and then 16 gigs of ram uh based on the way it was spec 5 years ago so it it runs it just fine and i don't i mean i think the it looks a little cartoony but other than that i i thought it was perfectly perfectly fine uh, would be yeah. my review of it
0: i just it just makes me curious to wonder how many schools are you know running chrome os versus mac os ios um a uh, uh, flavor of, of Windows these days. So yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen recent statistics. Is that something that NCCE does any surveys about as far as schools or? Not
1: um? Not that I know of as of late, but I would imagine that Cosin does uh, some work there and that I think it would be worth our time to be to look that up.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. What else on the Microsoft front?
1: Sure. There's another really interesting article here, and this is from The Verge on uh, March 25th. Um, uh, Monica Chen did a review of the Surface Laptop SE, and I believe that uh, the Surface Laptop SE is a school-only device. In fact, I can confirm from the article, it is a school-only device available to schools. It uh, comes in different configurations, but... Uh, The reviewer picked up one for $329, and for $329, it came with a Celeron N4120 chip, 8 gigs of RAM, 120 gigabytes of of eMMC storage. Um, It's a a smaller laptop. It's 11.6 inches um, on the horizontal. Um, Interestingly enough, it's still 2.5 pounds, though, which seems kind of heavy for a little 11-inch plastic laptop. Um, a, a, kind of a typical UGG uh, camera, um, Wi-Fi, et cetera. But the reason why this device is interesting is because it comes with Windows 11 S, which is Microsoft's uh, kind of Chrome OS alternative. And uh, I, I guess the reason why I pointed out this article is because I believe this echoes what I've said several times over that, you know, I appreciate that Microsoft is trying to have a Chrome um, OS alternative here that's a little easier to manage. Um, the problem is, is that Windows runs slowly on even uh, or on, on, on hardware. So when you have relatively modest hardware, the Chromebook is almost always going to be a better option, uh, assuming you're, you're somewhere within the Chrome uh, universe or Google universe, because it run, runs so much better on spelled hardware. So basically it's a little lemon inch laptop. They did note on here that uh, the white plastic uh a keyboard stains easily, which means it's probably not um necessarily a great choice for classrooms. I'm reminded of the white MacBook uh which I had one. This was 14 15 years ago um and I loved it, but it was definitely a stain picker upper like it had a uh, a sheen of kind of gray stuff on it, uh, that, uh, kind of picked up over time. Um, but the important thing here is that the reviewer says that, you know, with the speed of windows 11, remember can't install, you know, regular apps on windows 11 S you're stuck with a certain subset of apps that are available in the Microsoft store. Um, and it's, it's locked down. You can't even like, uh, you'd have to wipe the operating system put something different on there to be able to install things yourself. The bottom line is that you're probably better off with a Chromebook. That's the conclusion that the author has on the review. And and again, I've said that a couple different times that, you know, if you have an i5 chip with four, six, I'm sorry, four, eight, maybe even 16 gigs of RAM and an SSD drive, you're probably going to run Windows just fine. But the slower you get, even though it makes it a lot cheaper, it's just not a very good experience on Windows. And I think that's the problem. So as a recovering IT director yourself, Dr. Fryer, any thoughts there?
0: Definitely. The management piece of this is really important. You know, one of the beautiful and great things about Chromebooks is that the Windows admin console is really, really robust. And so they talk about, you know, having things locked down and limiting apps and things like that. But, you know, that is certainly something that that hopefully Microsoft is doing um, a lot of work. Um, You know, we're using Jamf as a mobile device management uh, tool on our um uh, iOS iPad side and then also on the on the Mac side um but you know using the Google tools so that's just from an IT standpoint that's just really important in terms of what kinds of affordances uh, and tools, uh, and then also abilities, you know, do, uh, do you give your users and how are you able to differentiate those, let's say between elementary kids and, and middle and high school kids. The other thing that's interesting as a recommendation at the bottom of that article <clears throat> was thinking about accessibility and screen size. Um, and the, artic- the author concludes by urging schools to spend more on larger screened, higher resolution devices if they can, because accessibility for all students is worth investing in. And that is absolutely true. Sometimes, you know, You just might not have that accessibility advocate on your your staff, Um, you know, but legally as public institutions, there are important requirements that we have for accessibility. Um, And I'm glad to see that as an encouragement, because sometimes we are just thinking about the least expensive, you know, tool and what's going to be most affordable. Um, Screen size is really important, especially as you're trying to get kids to do things that involve you know, creating content. And we're doing some of that right now on Chromebooks with, you know, multiple windows and things like that. Um, so good things to think about. And that's probably just the same common refrain of yay, Microsoft, good job to innovate, but Hey, probably not a threat for Chrome yet. And it's, you know, probably going to have to, you know, just continue to uh, iterate and evolve into something better before we would see a, a sizable number of schools want to change. Or Google Google blows up, or I don't know something weird happens, but I don't think that situation is going to be changing substantially in a while or for a while.
1: Excellent. And then let me let's let's pick up some Chrome and Google articles for the week. Uh, First, some Chrome OS updates, Um, and I can report something based on this uh, about Chromebook. Kevin Toftel's Chrome OS blog uh, writes on. Uh, I believe it was March 25th that I'm sorry, March 24th, that there is something useful happening in the virtual desktops. And um, I am on a Chromebook right now. Um, I, Uh, As I uh, fled town for a week of wild contemplation, um, I did grab uh, a Chromebook and an external monitor. uh, And what did
0: you grab? Is it the Pixel or something else?
1: Uh, No, I grabbed a a Lenovo C630, uh, which is a large format uh, Chromebook that I picked up for a song on eBay uh, about a year ago. Uh, One of the things I love about, about really nice Chromebooks is they tend to, uh, they tend to sell for well below what they're worth on the used market because people think that because a lot of Chromebooks are low end and junky that they're not going to fetch a a very good price. So I have a wonderful setup right now, um, including my, uh, Lenovo laptop, I have an external uh, ASUS USB-C monitor, so I have a two monitor set up, and then I did bring um, a wireless keyboard and a uh, trackpad, um, so I've got a, a pretty good productivity set up here for some side projects I'm working on this weekend. But the point of my comment is that uh, uh, virtual desktops are about a year and a half old on the Chrome operating system, and I keep noticing that there is more and more... Um, uh, f- uh, features and functionality that are being added to it. Uh, for example, you can toggle now between uh, searching, when you alt-tab searching to switch between b- between applications, uh, alt-tab gives you the option of, of, of having all of the apps that are currently running on all desktops or all virtual desktops versus just being on your current desktop. And what's cool about that is that if you learn the keyboard commands, uh, or you use the mouse command, or you actually go into the interface and switch between the desktops, uh, you can kind of stay within one of those desktops and only do the open apps there. That means you can have, you know, uh, my home stuff here and my work stuff on another desktop, or this project here and then my communication stuff on another desktop. It's really great. Um, what, what Mr. Tovel is talking about is that there is something that they're working on right now that's called templates, and I don't think I fully understand templates. i read a couple articles on this this morning. Basically, what templates are is I think they're setups to where uh, you can have multiple windows uh, on a single desktop kind of open up in a certain way, shape, or form, and you can conform programs to go to those desktops based on a template you create. Very, like, next-gen, advanced power user stuff. Um, but my point of this is that it is becoming more and more and more an advanced operating system. And they keep adding in more features and functionality that look a little more on um, what power users expect out of operating systems. And I would also add to that that there was a wonderful article, um, uh, from Tech Radar on March 18th where a freelance writer basically decides to go all Chrome OS all the time um, and then report back Um, on his results. And what I think is really interesting about that is that I am seeing more and more articles from people that live on the web entirely and aren't really using desktop apps, that they're finding that, uh, especially if you buy a decent Chromebook, it's good enough uh, to get things done. And even though I work in all the operating systems as part of my day job and also because I'm a nerd, um, I still think the Chrome operating system on the right hardware is a pretty magical operating system. It gives me everything I need to get done and more.
0: And that's why that virtual desktop thing is so so big right because being able to use your chromebook as a terminal and then access you know other operating systems servers um the last two summers i i led a virtual minecraft education summer camp <clears throat> and we spun up um it was actually a mac mini server um but we we spun that up and then just you know virtually connected to that that's where we ran the server and anyway that's the virtualization of of servers and and having more things in your IT department, you know, in the cloud, not on a local, local premises basis. Um, I agree. I think that's something that the power users are looking for. And it's, again, just pretty interesting to see how the iteration continues. Um, and, the you know, the feature set continues to grow for Chrome. Uh, if people haven't tried that, our daughter went to France for two weeks and she took our old, you know, Dell 11 Chromebook. It's what? maybe five years old now, or I don't know, it's, 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 it's a ways. And she honestly didn't have to use it that much. She really was able to do most things on her phone, but um, good to see Chrome advancing in this way. And Mr. TOEFL continues to keep us informed. So about Chromebook is the place for Chrome news.
1: Um, And then one last article, uh, interesting piece of software that might be interesting for districts that are all in on Chromebook, but also have web apps, or I'm sorry, uh, Windows apps that need to be used. There's a piece of software called, uh, I think it it looks like it's pronounced uh, Cameo, um, but the uh, video has a a, a different pronunciation, the demo video from the manufacturer. Basically, this is a virtualization platform that allows you to deliver um, Windows apps virtually um, as progressive web apps to Chromebooks, and so in other words, if you have a, an absolutely critical, one, uh, they show off Microsoft Office here uh, as an example of this. Um, I would imagine the more kind of. Officey, the apps are, you know, a specialized app for managing a scoreboard, for example, or, uh, uh, you have a, a special app that's required for your student information system, something along those lines. Although I can't imagine most of that hasn't, uh, at least in some way, migrated to the web. But you can use this cameo software to essentially virtualize it and then auto install it on appropriate Chromebooks as part of the management interface at Google. So lots of options. If you want, you know, if you're trying to manage uh, maybe some legacy software, there are more and more interesting uh, uh, software platforms available that allow you to do that on Chrome OS.
0: And that's very powerful from a licensing standpoint. One of our relatives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area was uh, – well, actually two of them, I think uh, – were part of a district that did that with, vir- with virtualized apps. And so – you don't have to have everybody, you know, with a full version of Office and, and whatever. Um, your licensing can look a little bit different based on your utilization, uh, but you can give people access when they need it, and you could scale that up if you needed to uh, via licensing, and not needing to necessarily deploy, you know, reimage all of that old archaic stuff that we used to do.
1: Couple other quick uh, Google articles, uh, interesting how-to article on Chrome yeah. Unboxed on March twenty-third. Basically, Chrome, so some talk about the browser and the operating system now have a feature where you can right click an image and it will open it up in Google lens and both try to identify it and also allow you to OCR text on it for copying and pasting purposes and really clever functionality. Um, I would have never thought to look there. Uh, 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 I, my uh, secondary context menus tend to grow or get bigger and smaller, depending on which plugins I have installed on the operating system uh, or the, the, the browser. So I don't oftentimes keep an eye on there, but wonderful new feature works, works really great. Uh, another new feature in, Oh, please, sir.
0: Have you done that on your iPhone and iPad much as far as being able to select text?
1: I have. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful feature. In, it's uh,
0: amazing. IOS. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I've been at some events, uh, taking a picture of a program and then just highlighted yeah. the link or whatever. And, or, or I'm going to do a, a post and, you know, you do need to make sure you proof and it's a little bit like speech to text or whatever. It's not going to be perfect, Yeah, um, but it's phenomenal. And yeah, that, it's is, better that is, than that's it should be. Of, you know, in just the last maybe year or so, it seems like that has, has come to be a thing. So it's whether you're, you know, Take a picture of, of uh, a live image. You've got a, an image that's on your phone. If you haven't used that, it really is a pretty exceptional technology. So good to see that coming to the Google world, too. I would also add, too, that it has a translate
1: feature. So if you have a text in another language, one of the tabs in Google Lens translate. So that's also pretty sweet. Okay,
0: too. for Google. Yeah, because iOS, I don't think, is doing No, it that doesn't. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And then um, another new feature, uh 95 Google reports on March 25th, that uh Chrome now has a side panel for accessing bookmarks and the reading list. Um, that is uh I don't really know how to describe the the uh the icon other than it's a little kind of box that's got a sub box in it. And the reading list has actually proven a, a really useful feature for me because this is where I stick stuff that I know I'm going to need, but I don't want to put in my pretty extensive bookmark architecture. So I just throw it on the reading list. Um, and it's a wonderful way of being able to get back and forth to articles. But they're also putting bookmarks there now. So it's become kind of a, a different and better feature. And so I'm, I'm glad to see when they originally said side panel, I thought it's going to look like the old... Firefox side panel that, you know, would have contextual information and stuff there, which I d- didn't really care for. I do like this, however.
0: I am still using Pocket, and I don't think Pocket has been updated in in quite a while, and I'm not paying for that. Um, but I'm pretty in, intrigued by that. Pocket, Pocket kind of similarly lets me throw stuff that I want to read later it's nice that it strips off all the ads and yeah. distractions and, and things like that. I also like how it can read to you. Um, so it has yes. a little little button to to tap, and and that's all built in. There's not a you know pay for this extra. So what what are you doing for bookmarking these days? By the way, I just
1: I just use the the natural Chrome bookmarks, and um, but I also. I, it's really important to me that that is because of how much time I spend on, on web-based tools that has to be really well thought through because it saves me so much time to have, you know, web bookmarks, uh, in, in that bookmark bar. So I do take the text out of a lot of them. So they turn just to icons, which is, uh, uh, I, I think I've, I've talked about that pro tip here before. Yeah, yeah. It's really important, I think, to, uh, uh to organize your bookmarks, but, um, I also have, you know, different ones on my different uh, browsers. So my personal one at home, uh, for example, has three ed situation rooms and uh, uh, links on it because I every Wednesday night I'm here and I know where to go with stuff. My one at work has, you know, a pretty extensive piece. And I think that that's a it's a very important, important pro tool. It's also really important when you're a Chrome OS user. I think your bookmarks bar needs to be like really, really, really fine tuned.
0: I would say, too, this is I'm going to check this out because this is a good kind of tip to share with people. We're all consuming things from the Web in in all different kinds of contexts. And so tools like this that are integrated right within the Chrome browser um, and may make that process of saving something, coming back to it uh, more efficient. Does it have anything where it'll take off ads? Probably not like Pocket.
1: Uh, no, although I have noticed something about Pocket, I think Pocket is getting maintained because that's it's owned by Firefox. So I'm sorry, the uh, Mozilla Foundation owns oh, okay.
0: Pocket. I, I didn't know um,
1: But uh, what I have noticed lately is that uh, that there are times. In fact, I've got my iPad here with me uh, because I'm kind of reading. So uh, let's see, Pocket. I've also noticed that there are times when it doesn't seem to be pulling text as much as um, just sending me back to the to the. Well, no, now it's pulling text. So maybe.
0: it does depend on the article. And I don't know what the what the coding thing is, but there's some articles that won't be able to be stripped, basically, and and li- limited to just the text, and so it just has to default to yeah. here's the web page. But I've noticed that too. Pocket um, is great worth checking out. I don't know that we've ever had that as a geek of the week, but yeah. you know, Flipboard pocket, there's some of these tools that I've just, you know, continued to use through the years. And some, some for me, like Evernote have gone by the wayside, but others are like still part of my core yeah. use them almost every day. So,
1: yeah, I do. And I, I like pocket pockets. A, uh, when I was traveling before, uh, or when I was on my phone and had a long form article that I knew I wanted to spend time with, that was the easy place to put it was in pocket.
0: And the other thing that's interesting is there's not a ton of people that I follow there, but sometimes on Flipboard, sometimes on Pocket, you know, I'll see recommendations and I'll sometimes re- recommend as well. Anyway, yes. it's, just, it's always interesting to see when you follow people whose ideas you want to follow, you know, when they're a filter for, for ideas. And Twitter does that, obviously, but Pocket has a way of doing it. Too. Cool. That's a good new feature. All right, well, okay. we're
1: having and then uh let's see here. Uh, one last article um uh so apparently uh the good folks at Google and the good folks at Spotify have come to some sort of agreement that they can bypass Android billing. Um but no one exactly knows what the deal is because the the both sides have made it kind of vaguely clear that there's still money changing hands between Spotify and Google. Um, But, and they're the first one to kind of run an experiment in the United States Play Store for this, but no one seems to know what it is. And um, uh, going back, we've had several articles about how people are are trying to encourage both Apple and Google to stop uh, forcing people to utilize their payment systems inside of the App Store on iOS and the Play Store, on Android. And uh, there's been a lot of legal challenges to it, some of which have been successful, some of which have not. But it looks like Google is experimenting in the space. We just don't know how much money's changing hands between Spotify and Google. Interesting. And then one, more, one, one more, last
0: one more, book... one more bookmark yep. comment. Um, have you used the bookmarks feature of Twitter yet? Are you using that at all? No. Yeah, that's something that I've just dabbled with. And as I'm sitting here looking at, looking at my Twitter, um, anyway, that's, I, that's just, is that something we get with Twitter blue or whatever the pro version? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't
1: even know what it is. So <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah. you can book know, stuff
0: yeah. and create, create folders in Twitter. So if you want to save tweets and, and go back to them. So anyway, sorry, that was a squirrel. That's okay.
1: And then one quick Apple article. Uh, I've seen a couple other references to this in the last week. Uh, Apple is working on a 15-inch MacBook Air, which is uh, kind of the power... personal user has been particularly demanding of that it would also work well i would imagine a lot of educational institutions uh, that they prefer the air's form factor at the price um but would want a larger monitor or screen um everything i'm reading suggests that there will be a new form factor this year for the macbook air uh there are uh, supply chain challenges uh so that that may uh change when it's ultimately released but i would welcome a new form factor for the macbook air
0: what quarter are they talking about, the, the M2 coming to? I've heard
1: everything from quarter three to quarter two, 2023.
0: Yeah, so it may not be by fall. Yeah. So And supply chain will probably fit into that too. Yep. All right. Hey, look at you getting through all the Google, Microsoft, and Apple articles. So if people were coming here for some hard tech news, they've been so satisfied the last two weeks. so we got you good. covered. All right. Well, with that, let's descend into the tech correction. <laughs> no, let's. Um, actually, I want to talk about a, um, a Russia Ukraine uh, article, but it is tech correction related as well. I put it under the Russia Ukraine. Uh, this is the New York Times today, um, and I added this as a gift link. So, as a sub, as our, our school subscribes to New York Times, I'm able to give away ten articles a, a month, and then I pay myself for the Washington Post. So, I'm in the habit now of of actually just sharing gift links. Um, this link is how war in, or the article is, how war in Ukraine roiled Facebook and Instagram. And one of the things that the, the um, authors point out is how incredible it is that, well, it doesn't seem from the outside and evidently from some of the, the leakers on the inside that there really was a comprehensive plan for Facebook to deal with all of the disinformation and all the issues which, you know, come up when you've got a conflict like this. Um, They highlight how, um, you know, they they have uh, been uh, applauded for dealing with the deep fakes. We talked maybe two weeks ago about the... Uh, deep fake video that was created about President Zelensky in the Ukraine, uh, you know, supposedly saying, lay down your arms and surrender. And it wasn't a perfect or not. It, w- it wasn't a super high quality fake like some of the other ones that we've that we've seen and we've talked about. But they have uh, been taking down um, some, some Russian propaganda uh, and trying to limit that. But they've also, I guess, really, you know, suspended some of their normal rules about content that they would... Um, filter or censor and not permit. And um, they've got a nice tweet, and I might even include this one in our, our show notes, where uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine says, well, there, he compliments Meta. He says, war is not only a military opposition on uh, Ukraine land, it is also a fierce battle in the informational space. I want to thank Meta and other platforms that have an active position that help and stand side by side with the Ukrainians. Um, so anyway, just an interesting article about, uh, you know, like war, the ways in which, you know, social media and the, the, uh, control of the information space is a vital aspect of conflict today, not just armed conflict as we're seeing right now, continue to play out in Ukraine. And it's hard for me to imagine this is, this is continuing as a shooting war. I don't think anybody would have predicted this going on for for as long as it is. And and we just don't know how long that is going to continue. But it uh this is an important thing to talk about, by the way. Um a couple weeks ago when I went to Charlotte, North Carolina and interviewed, um I, I shared, you know, some of the photos that we had talked about on the show that were from the Syrian Civil War and and did a little discussion about how important it is to vet pictures and to, you know, think about the SIFT strategy of stopping before we share and things like that. So an excellent article talking about the information war and um again pointing to how We need to recognize that the information that's being shared is very oftentimes, especially in on contentious subjects, you know, coming from sources that have different perspectives and may or may not be accurate. And it's a confusing, fractured, polluted environment that requires media literacy. And so these are these are good things to be talking about with our students are good things to be talking about with uh, family, friends and others, because we're all in the midst of this information uh, you know, whatever you want to call this, this, this polluted landscape. And then I want to mention an article um, that's also
1: related to the Ukraine and Russian conflict. Uh, this is from the MIT Technology Review on March 17th. James Bell writes a pretty interesting uh, deep dive into what happens if the conflict between UK- Ukraine and Russia and the isolation that Russia's feeling uh, due to economic sanctions turns into some kind of splinter of the internet or the splinter net as it's being uh, uh, termed in this particular article. And basically the idea is, is that um, you know it's it's pretty hard to deny that we do have a, a worldwide connection to one another um, uh, via the internet uh, The internet is built to be uh, uh, kind of survive even if parts of it disappear. But there is some interesting uh, conversations going on of, of, of what happens if basically Russia is cut, uh, cut out from the outside world, either because uh, Russia decides to do something to get rid of any outside or conflicting information um, where they have a, a very, very close, uh, a close hold on um, uh, a speech activity in the country of Russia itself, or if it's par sanctions, the United States and the world community decide to cut uh, Russia off from the internet as an economic sanction. And um, there are a lot of uh, experts are brought into this con- this conversation. So I'd certainly suggest um, reading the article, but I also note that there are some interesting pieces here. The first one is um what happens if uh, uh, someone else creates a splinter net that's just based on a whole new way of looking at the web, right? So it's not uh, TCP IP and the other network protocols that have served us for, you know, 40 plus years now, but instead they adopt something new. And uh, how easy would it be to kind of join the Internet together again post-conflict should that happen? And experts say that's probably not uh Terrible, Because, you know, eventually we would create some way of uh, bridging the two and allow information to trade back and forth between the new that new uh, network and the old network. But a scarier scenario is actually that Russia's cut off, not because they choose a different set of protocols, but rather they take advantage of some of the decentralized nature of the Internet and. Uh, put in different authorities that control things like DNS. So they, they put alternative means of doing that, which could really mess up the entire Internet if people take advantage of some of the the issues or some of the holes that could be created by uh, taking advantage of how the Internet is secure in 2022.
0: What's going to be important, though, is how unified the West is. And, you know, just as we've seen NATO come together, um, around, if, if we're able to still have some unity around free, you know, free and open access to information. But this is a hugely critical time for like, you know, multipolar world ascendant China, you know, this whole idea of a United States controlled and dominated internet. I I think last week, my geek of the week was, um, uh, Ethan Zuckerman and an interview they did with an EFF podcast, uh, talking about the future of the internet and, and how to fix the internet and you know, we've got um, a lot of people working on, on different ideas there, <clears throat> but there's a, there's a number of folks that are not happy with the idea, number one, that the United States is really the one calling the shots, but also that basically you're trying to enforce a single set of norms on the planet. And one of the things they said in that podcast was that just doesn't work. It, you know when you get such large groups, this is why you have so many challenges for the facebooks, the Twitters, the youtubes, um, and so anyway, maybe a, a, maybe a future of, of smaller networks and and managed services and platforms that are not including you know or trying to include the entire world um, actually is where we 're going to be headed uh, because legally you 're going to continue to see more challenges we 've seen that from the European Union with privacy and things like that, uh, the tech correction as we talk about it. But I do think it's fascinating. And kind of tied to that with Russia, you know, I, and I haven't read about this lately, but, you know, we quickly kicked Russia out of SWIFT, which is this banking, you know, transfer system. And I was hearing, it's actually a parent at school the other day talk about this and like gold and, and the alternatives that Russia has economically. I mean, one of the things that we have thought in, you know, this idea of, you know, the optimism of the end of history and, and liberal democracy and all of this is that because we're going to be so connected and so tight together, we're going to rub off on each other that our values are going to be shared. And so if this idea of a splinter net does happen, you know, then that danger is that we're just we're going to have these separate echo chambers. And I think we see that with Russian mainstream media today, like unless people are on VPNs and they're getting news from the West, they are getting a completely distorted and inaccurate perspective on what's happening in the Ukraine, and, and not just there, in other parts of, of the world, and their nation as well. And it's really, it, it's scary to think that this can happen. And Vladimir Putin, I think, has done more to shut down independent journalism in in the last you know month since the Ukraine invasion has taken place than we've seen in my lifetime. I think, and so it is a. It's, it's a very sobering uh, set of circumstances, and I'm glad for you to share that article because that definitely looks like one that's worth reading. But it's also important to not just, oh, the Internet's going to die and it's all going to be bad. like ethan zuckerman um, the the folks at the EFF and how to fix the internet there 's a lot of really, really smart people uh, working on this and thinking about how can we leverage some of these really powerful positive aspects of network technologies, um, but maybe avoid or stop some of these other consequences that are happening, especially when things are so Globalized, um, and then you have things like Section two hundred and thirty providing liability protection for companies, and anyway, the, the the ways in which government regulation intersects with it. So, pretty fascinating stuff. And I have seen some very positive article. I think we shared some a couple of weeks ago about people like joining like dating networks and other kinds of things to connect with Russians and have conversations about current events and try to you know get them uh, information. Um, So it, it remains to be seen if, you know, phones and all of the, and computers, all these, these technologies can actually go, uh, you know, have a different standard and that can be something that would be so, so large that it would threaten the the internet as we see it, but definitely a good article to consider.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Well, it looks like we've got uh, about 15 or so minutes left uh, before we jump into our geeks of the week. Uh, uh, Should we, let's see here.
0: Let's do some uh. Let's do some tech correction. I'll do a fast one, mainly because I have so few articles. Hey, I get all my articles in. Um, this is a defense one article, but this is about Space Force. <clears throat> I I think I might have mentioned on the show. My wife and I went to uh, NASA Johnson Center Space Center's annual conference, uh, It's called the Seat Conference, the Space Exploration Educators Conference. Um, they hadn't had it face to face for two years, and it was absolutely fantastic. Didn't hear anything about Space Force. I wore a a T-shirt that I had for Space Force there, and people are like, oh, look at that. Um, So this article from Defense One on um, the 28th of March uh, reports that Space Force is getting roughly a 40% increase in its budget. That's a huge, huge increase. Um, And so um, the things that Space Force is responsible for in terms of uh, you know GPS monitoring all of the the um, the satellites that are that are in Earth orbit um, but then also you know how are we going to be able to defend our resources and have redundant systems in the case of of armed conflict uh, just just pretty fascinating but that was an eye-opening uh, statistic to see because you know I don't know you think of um Eisenhower and the military-industrial complex, and talking about growth and everything else. But hey, space is a huge part of our lives today. It's one of the things that maybe tends to be more invisible. <clears throat> we talk about Starlink and some of these other things uh, fairly frequently. So, space force is is, is growing. So it's going to be who knows? We could we could have a member of our family in space force uh, eventually. Um, there's a lot more, you know, young people, you know, young and old that are that are serving there. So. That was the only miscellaneous article.
1: We <laughs> well, sure. Uh, let's deal with a couple tech correction articles. And this one may actually take us a little bit here. A really interesting article from Mitchell Clark in The Verge on March 2nd. talks about how TikTok is facing investigation to its impact on young people's mental health. And there are a lot of state attorney generals right now that are concerned for the safety and well-being of children. Now, I have to say that it's hard not to read a little bit of politics into this, in part because it's the same language being used in other more hot-button subjects uh, that a lot of uh, state uh, state attorneys general are working on right now. So I, you know, who knows where where this is going to ultimately go? I do think the core of the uh, the, the question of whether TikTok has uh, posed a unique threat to to uh, the mental health of kids, I think, is worthy of some discussion and. One of the things that I will tell you, um, I've been on TikTok since roughly month four of the pandemic, and I like TikTok. TikTok is a really interesting way to spend some time, and I will also tell you it is a time vampire. So it uh, kind of sucks the minutes out of the hour, and um, I have, you know, sat down with a glass of red wine before uh, and opened up a little TikTok, and it, suddenly an hour has just elab- or evaporated like it was you know, not there in the first place, but, um, you know, one of the things mentioned in the article is that uh, some people are worried because the the software seems to be designed around the notion of getting you to stay longer and watch more videos from more creators. Now, when I hear that, I almost want to roll my eyes, and for those of you uh, listening, not watching, I am rolling my eyes because... I. I mean, we've been talking about this since since day one of the podcast that, you know, these apps are designed to be addicting, right? Like they use some of the same core tenants to them that casinos use in virtual slot machines in order to keep you putting money in, uh, hopefully for a big score. And I'd like to remind people that there is a thriving industry out there of apps that are gambling apps, that there is no way to win anything in them. They are just played for the lighting up and the sounds that it makes and the running up of, of fake total of, of money and score points. So there's probably something to that. So I guess I'd start with Wes. I know that you've you've been on TikTok, but it's not a regular app for you. Is that is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've, I think I just I've, I've posted, you know, twice. So it is not not something that I am uh, in my desire to play with media. I am not walking the walk there with TikTok.
1: Yeah. So, um, and and I guess that I mean, you know, based on my own experience, I would agree with the notion that the logarithm seems very, very highly uh attuned, and whenever I go to my For You page, which is the first page that pops up, and it shows you creators, some of which you may already follow, and most of which you don't, that it thinks you're going to like, and it's usually a pretty accurate experience for me. Um, and if I spend time on a for you page, I inevitably add four or five people to those that I'm following because they, they kind of nailed it. And, and we've talked about some of the stuff is, is a little embarrassing. So I'm not going to tell you how, how good it is, uh, at, uh, uh the logarithmic part, but the stuff that's, it's, it's not a surprise at all. Cast iron TikTok, which is, uh, cast iron aficionados of which I am one. Um, and for anyone that's been on cast iron anything on the internet, uh, it is the most passionate group of people that love to argue about basically nothing. So, uh, cast iron, uh, uh, uh internet is a, is a, a kind of a, a funny place, but barbecue TikTok and cooking TikTok and, um, uh, I'm on human resource TikTok, uh, that a lot of, uh, human resource professionals, and i particularly like, um, uh, uh, this is particularly Gen Z and millennial, uh, uh, professionals in the human resources world are starting to create TikTok atta- accounts to kind of explain new views on work by millennials and, and Gen Zers. And I love that. I think that's, it's really challenging to me as an educator. And I, you know, I, I, I I do have younger employees in my organization that look at work differently than I do. And I want to know more about that. I want to understand that so I can be a good boss and a good steward um, of of my organization and its resources. And, um, you know, that said, it's just, I I can understand why a a, a teen could easily get sucked into five or six hours a day of this app.
0: And the influence that it has on, perceptions of the world and all kinds of things is is enormous, huge. Yeah. To your point about, you know, seeing this being politicized, I actually just dropped this, this article link in, this came from um, the uh, author James Bell that we had just quoted for one of the other articles. Uh, This is a Washington post exclusive From today, March 30th, Facebook paid uh, GOP Republican firm to malign TikTok. The firm targeted victory, pushed local operatives across the country to boost messages, calling TikTok a threat to American children. Quote, the dream would be to get stories with headlines like from dances to danger, one campaign director said so. You know, um, during the Trump presidency, we talked about how it was kind of hard in some cases to separate politics from just straight up security when it came to things like concerns over, you know, TikTok, over uh, Chinese technology and firms. Um, We've seen different entities ban uh, Huawei. Uh, and and then uh, well, actually, I don't know if we talked about it. we didn't Kaspersky got put on a, a list this last week, I think, as a Russian firm to say, no, no one should be working with Kaspersky at all. Um, anyway, this article is just fascinating, talking about the different layers of this, because I talked to my kids about TikTok today and we talked about the fact that it's Chinese owned. <clears throat> we're watching parts of a wonderful 2019 YouTube series called The Age of AI that is um, narrated by Robert Downey Jr. And it's just absolutely fantastic. Anyway, TikTok is not a social media company, right? It's an AI company. And so the more we have people put in video uh, and the more we watch it and the more data that it collects, you know, the more... They're company benefits. They're pretty ingenious in figuring that out. So anyway, I thought that article was kind of was was again eye opening thinking about the layers here, because there certainly are all kinds of politics at play with the tech correction. The companies that see a benefit to trying to bring down the big dogs, bring down Facebook, bring down, you know, Google, that kind of thing from just like a business competition side. Um, But then you've also got, you know, political cards. That are being played, and we've, you know, certainly sometimes we see politicians grandstanding on issues about internet safety and things that are important, but they may be doing that for more political reasons than you know sincere reasons to try and change the underlying technologies or regulations that affect you know what's happening on the ground. So, but you continue to encourage me, Dr. Neifer, to check out TikTok, and I've been I've been doing more stories actually on Facebook and Instagram, um, like just in the last week. I've gotten like over a hundred likes, you know, just on like, here's the grill, you know, here's, here's the poppers uh, on the grill. People like that stuff, you know? So anyway, it's interesting how it is good to play with this stuff and to kind of dabble with it and see him. Yes, I'm sure there are, there are many hours. That's probably one of the things I'm not totally, you know, excited about is, oh yes, I'd love to spend hours, you know, scro- death scrolling through TikTok. So, <laughs> but I probably should know a little bit more about it than I do. Any other tech correction articles that you'd like to address here as we near the end?
1: Yeah, one quick one. And, um, this is more or less kind of an information, uh, for you. There's two, two articles I'm referring to. One of them is the New York Times on February 23rd, uh, with, uh, with Fed Up Google, um, Fed Up with Google, um, I think I mixed up those words there. Conspiracy theorists turned to DuckDuckGo, and then Recode had an article about a month later. This is from uh, March 16th last week. The free speech search engine that never was. And DuckDuckGo has picked up a significant amount of new users in the last two years or so because of the perception that Google allows politics to um, uh, infect its search results. And, of course, I don't really believe that. I mean, I, 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 am naturally suspicious of companies of, 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 of great size like Google in the first place. I tend to probably trust Google more than I should. But still, I do think that there's some interest here in that. But, um, it's been my general assumption that the logarithm seems to deal true information near the top and there doesn't seem to be political, um, uh, uh, shenanigans going on with the results, but a lot of users have started saying that they prefer DuckDuckGo because of the perception that it gives back more neutral results. And um, what the article uh, from Rico talks about is the fact that people are starting to accuse DuckDuckGo of of, of being part of the grand conspiracy because their search results are not preferring uh, information that that is clearly wrong or intended to or or, or is actually a uh, information or misinformation. And um, I, I think it's funny because that becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy if you assumed that you know every website is eventually sucked into some grand conspiracy about information. But uh, it's interesting to discuss the politics of that, and you know, search is inherently uh, political um, in the same way that, as we've talked about in the past, that search should never be seen as information retrieval; should always be seen as a critical thinking exercise. That's especially true in the very politicized nature of information in 2022 particularly in your classroom.
0: And that article talks about uh, Joe Rogan. (laughs) And we've spent some time on the show talking about some of that controversy around uh, Rogan's podcast, Um, you know, allegations of disinformation. And um, these also are just these are really important conversations to have. There's a lot of people involved in this Uh, perceptions about what the law requires and what reality requires. Right. Because none of us want to be on any kind of digital platform that has absolutely zero content management and censorship, you know, because if you're on one that has a lot of folks on it, it is going to become a cesspool. (laughs) And so um, those conversations are, are really important. And I think that uh, I mentioned, it's like a, there's, it can, it is a fairly dark um, there are some fairly dark parts of it, but there's a, HBO series on QAnon that I watched the the whole thing and part of the thing and this talked about like founders of uh, these message boards or image boards like 4chan and 8chan I mean had the, had and have these radical ideas about free speech like anything goes and there should be no limits. Um, that's an important thing to discuss and um, I think generally if you're gonna have Conversations with most reasoned people, they are going to agree that there can be some boundaries and limits, but not everybody. And there, and and that's one of the reasons why we've had platforms like uh, 4chan and 8chan, and and so um, good conversations and important. But you know, we've talked to the experiments I've done with DuckDuckGo have been very disappointing. You know, very very crummy. I've been surprised to see on I 40 because we're the intersection of of Interstate 40 Interstate 35 here in Oklahoma City. Huge advertisement billboards, I guess, for truckers. You know, hey, here's DuckDuckGo. Use DuckDuckGo, um, but I've never been impressed with with search results there. Yeah, so. and 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 that's and I should also
1: say that I got I I moved to DuckDuckGo for about six months uh, last year as my primary search engine, and I just it just wasn't bringing me and I don't mind digging past the, the the first page for results, but that's only what I'm researching. In this case, the reason why I didn't like it is because I felt like things that really should have no, uh, you know, when I'm looking for a very specific information or a website or a sub page on a website, that should be relatively easy to get to. And I felt like DuckDuckGo was pretty poor on those fundamentals. Well, Wes, uh, it looks like we're near the top of the hour. We managed to fill an hour again. Um, would you like to share your geek of the I've, I've taken over the hosting roles. I'm going to be quiet now.
0: No, you're just great. That is absolutely fine. Sure. Um, I'm going to just do one geek of the week. So uh, Ezra Klein uh, has the Ezra Klein Show podcast, and he's part of the New York Times now. <clears throat> this was an absolutely fascinating um interview with Margaret Atwood, and I have not read any of Margaret Atwood's uh, books, and I've not um, seen any of the, the movies that have been, you know, based on her books, uh, but the title of this episode is um, Margaret Atwood on Stories, Deception, and the Bible, and uh, she is such a wonderful student of history, talking about utopias, dystopias, storytelling, um, but also democracy and governance, uh, the roles in which uh, fiction and media and the stories that we tell and the stories that we consume shape our desires for public policy it's just really wide ranging and touching on some. All kinds of stuff, and it's fantastic. In fact, I may listen to it again. It was really, really excellent. And then, what just Ezra Klein, I, you know, I have like over 100 podcasts on my Pocket Cast channel, and I don't even listen to a tiny fraction of those. Uh, but his is frequently one that I will check out, and he just has some great interviews. And he asks people, by the way, at the end of every show, like three books, I think, that they recommend or that change their lives, they recommend. And that's always awesome, too that's great. How much,
1: sir? And this is just a reminder, um, uh, the NCC virtual conference, which is, uh, in April, early bird pricing ends tomorrow, March 31st, uh, go to ncc.org for more information. And I think, uh, wonderful sessions, uh, lots of great topics from great people from across the United States and elsewhere, uh, ncc.org.
0: And I think we've mentioned on the show before because, uh, We were at one point I was thinking about maybe trying to get out there, but this was going to be a live face to face event. And then because of COVID uh, needed to go virtual again. So in some of the ironies that we see happening with technology, you know, in some cases when things have to change, they end up opening more doors than they would might have offered before. And the fact that anybody can attend NCC now virtually is a pretty awesome thing. And I always uh, appreciate Dr. Knife for coming out with some new stuff, and this is usually his time to do that. So that's gonna, those are gonna be great. And of course, many of these are recorded, and you know, you can consume those on your own schedule as well. So, yep. All right. Well, this has been episode 254. Uh, we want to encourage you to visit our website EdTechSR, where you can download small MP3 versions of our show as well as little compressed audio versions but of course we're on youtube we're on facebook we have our Substack, which is not being sent out on a very regular schedule but we're trying to get that out uh at least before the next show comes out and that's a way to get the show notes that we talk about and those that we do not talk about so please follow us on twitter uh reach out to us let us know if there's something that we talked about that you used if there's something that you have a question about um, we actually, I mean, this is honestly pretty much just Jason and I getting together every week and talking, so it's fun. Um, I noticed that our, you know, our subscribers are creeping up. I think we're what, 200 and, um, or no, 200, uh, 625, 621 now on Twitter. Um, so anyway, you know, share, share the podcast, let other people know about it, write a review. We don't say that very often, <clears throat> but all of that kind of stuff helps uh, because we love learning and we love the tech news and <clears throat> we find it to be very Rewarding to have a chance to reflect on these things and talk about it, and we appreciate you joining us if you have connected. So until next time, we encourage you to stay savvy, stay safe, and uh, keep sharing your knowledge and your learning in the ways that you can on the platforms that you use. We'll see you next time.
1: Good night.